The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. It's not all the time that people are invited in to speak on the topic of sex, but um, I'm one of those rare people that gets to do that. And, uh, you know, they, they call me the sex guy. I don't mind you calling me that in here. Just don't do it in the grocery store. Um, because that, that gets a little bit awkward. And, and uh, like I shared earlier, it makes me feel a little bit like a pervert. Um, but, uh, you know, here's the deal. In any sort of sex series, anything that I say, like the big yes, all of a sudden has sexual connotation. So, um, you know, laugh, feel free with it. Because here's the deal. Uh, this is a topic that comes with a lot of confusion. This is a topic where we don't have a lot of honest conversation. Uh, and, and we, as a church body, as a place that meets on Tuesday nights, should be able to have honest and real conversation. When I was a student at the University of Arizona, I, I wished and hoped for a place like this, a community where we could have conversation, specifically about sex and relationships. When I was at Whitworth University, I thought that I might get that and and it wasn't. I, I remember this. My, my mom, um, my parents never had a sex talk with me. The first sex talk I had was when I was uh, <clears throat> 21. And, uh, and this is how my, my mom did it. She, she said, hey, hey uh, Jason, and she's, by, the time, uh, by that time, my parents were divorced and uh, was making a dinner uh, for a guy I didn't like. And, uh, and she says this, hey, Jason, have you um, ever been intimate with a woman. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and being 21, I knew exactly what she was saying. And so, you know, being 21, it gave me permission to be like, are you saying what I think you're saying? Well, yeah, I don't know if that's always, mm, you know, like, I, oh, if I had sex with someone, right? Like, like she was trying to get to that place without having to say the word sex. And, and what I hope is this, is that as we dialogue about this, that we can find ways to converse and talk and engage, uh, because what I recognize is that just by simply talking about it, it brings healing. And then I, I remembered that conversation with my mom this weekend as I remembered a commercial that came on. Maybe you saw this during the Super Bowl, but I think that it gives us a, a great prompt into the conversation that we're going to have tonight. Dad, where do babies come from? Uh, oh, well, there's a, th- th- there's a planet. It's called Babylandia. That's right, it's filled with babies. Uh-huh, babies of all kinds. And when the time is just right, there's a space launch. All systems go. They wave goodbye, and then they, they board these big, shiny rocket ships, right? They shoot off high in the sky, and they fly through space, and then they they penetrate the atmosphere. And then they're released all over the place. Yeah, Africa, the the Indian Ocean, uh, well, everywhere. After an amazing nine-month journey, they find their mommies and daddies. And that, son, is where babies come from. But Jake said babies are made when mommies and daddies... You go, play with us on the bus. Wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. 
Wheels on the bus go round and round all through the town. So what we're not going to do is avoid the question. Uh, obviously, hopefully by now you know where babies come from, uh, storks. And so uh, one of the things that uh, we, we want to be able to do is in, to uh, engage in this subject. Uh, here's what I would like for us to do, because we're going to, for the next few weeks, talk about the subject of sex. And so it's probably best that, um, there you go, um, and it's that big or even bigger most of our days uh, with the things that we listen to and watch and Take part in. Real quick, let's do this. I just want you to, to make sure that you know that this is a good place for us to have an honest conversation on this. Uh, why don't you just say this word out loud on the count of three. I know some of you might be more excited than others. Um, so, so on the count of three, we're going to say this out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. Good job. I do that for a reason, though, too, not just to demonstrate that we can have an honest conversation on this subject, but also this, and this is really important. Uh, one of the things that ends up happening is, I know it's been a long day, I hear it's midterms, your faces tell the story of what it's been like in the last few days, and so you're looking at me like this, <laughs> right? And then you see this, this little ad, and then you see this word, and some of your faces go from this to this. There's a little smirk. There's a little language in the body that, that changes. And then I say, I'm going to have you say this out loud. And all of a sudden, your faces go from this to... Because maybe you've never said this word in church. It's, it's much like another word. And so uh, one of the things that, that we end up doing is we say this word. And this happens across the board, all age groups. I, I, and, and, and here's what happens, right? I, I work a lot with high schoolers, college students, young adults, uh, parents, uh, even senior citizens. And yes, I've spoken about sex with senior citizens. Um, a whole nother topic and subject and talk. Um, but one of the things that ends up happening is this. We say this word out loud and there is something that happens. We say this word, sex. Right. And then all of a sudden we like revert to like our third grade selves. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, what is that? Now, the only difference between you and the senior citizens I've spoken to is they start with a laugh. And they end with a cough. So uh, totally, totally different. But some of you in the back are getting that now. Um, one of the things that we find, though, is this. We have to find ways to be able to speak about this. When I was growing up, one of the things that I heard a lot when it came to this subject, not because my parents taught me this, but because of what I would hear is, hey, if you were to become a man, a part of becoming a man was allowing this in your life to have sex. The sooner you had sex, the sooner you became a man. I mean, I don't know what it was like in, in your house or what it's like um, in the living quarters that you now live or the places that you're at, but I can only guess. You know, when I was at the University of Arizona, one of the dynamics was, it, it wasn't so much that, that sex was, was uh, just present to, well, make me a man. It also was uh, notches on my belt. Well, the other dynamic was I was also at the time going to church. And so um, at church, the interesting thing about this subject was, well, one, either it wasn't discussed 
Or if it was, it was discussed in such a way where it was like the grossest, ugliest thing that you could ever be a part of, but you save it for the person you love. Or the Heather dynamic was, and and I would hear this, uh, where it would be like, oh my gosh, it's the most incredible thing ever, and if you wait until your marriage night, you're going to see new colors, and like your socks are going to blow off. I mean, it, it doesn't happen, just socks blow up it's only in the movies um so one of the dynamics though is this we have all these different things but we don't have a place to be able to engage in this subject i remember i went from the university of arizona where you were judged in one way for this and then going to whitworth university you know i went to a school of twenty thousand students to a school of 15 um, and at the time, it was, then it was like Whitworth College. Uh, it was not Whitworth University. And one of the dynamics was, I, I remember this. I remember on campus, I don't know if any of you have gone to a church camp before, or Malibu, or something like that, but where people, when you get off the boat, or you get off the bus, what do they do? They greet you, hey! And they're like, hi in Jesus, or something. And, well, the first week at Whitworth is kind of like church camp. I just have to admit it. And I met this guy. And, and he was like in my face, like, I mean, in my face, telling me all these, these things about, uh, well, Whitworth, great. And then asking me questions about, you know, what's your favorite color? Where are you going? We're like, do you love Jesus? And, and like, I, he's so close, I can smell that he had onions for lunch. And there's this dynamic that ends up happening where at the very end, he does this, where he begins to look around and he's, I got a question for you. And I'm thinking, Okay, first of all, you just looked around like the FBI was chasing you or something, right? Like, what's going on? And then he, he pauses and he looks at me and he goes, do you have a B card? And now, now I'm looking around like, what's a V card? Like, is someone recording this? Like, all right. And so I'm, I'm like, you drew me in. What's a V card? The virginity card. And I'm like, you're a dork. <laughs> I'm thinking, where the heck am I going to school? Like, what the heck is going on right now? And, and here's the deal, right? Like, he went on. I'm thinking, like, at any moment, he's going to say, hey, not only am I a member, but I'm the president, <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm expecting something to happen. This was totally out of context for me. I'd never seen something like this. I, well, I, I didn't even know I knew a virgin until then. I mean, it was just something that was totally different for me. I never experienced that because here's the deal. I remember walking away from that conversation thinking, man, he chose to wait. Wow. Because see, the reality was I hadn't. But at that moment, I kind of wished I had. I didn't quite know why. See, I, I made a choice when I was much younger to become sexually active. It was a choice that I made. I know that a lot of times when we start talking about sex, we, we don't treat it as if it's a choice, so it's just something that's happened, right? It's like you're, you're, you're going to class, and thought, oops, what's that? Oh, <laughs> sex, silly me. Doesn't quite happen that way. There are choices that we make. And we have to be able to recognize that I made a choice to become sexually active. It was a choice that I, that I ended up making. Now, I have to say this, because we are going to talk a lot about choice in the next few weeks. But there is this reality, and I recognize this, that sometimes this choice is not made for us, it's stolen from us. 
And that's really important for us to recognize the difference. Abuse, rape, those are not choices. Those are things that are stolen from individuals. What I'm talking about is the choice. And I, I made a choice to become sexually active. It was the choice that I made. See, here's the deal. When I was uh, in church, I wanted to hear an answer to this question. and I, I didn't ever get it. See, when I was out in, uh, at U of A, when I was even at Whitworth, when I was out and listening to what the world had to say about it, I would hear these things like, oh, it's so great. You need to celebrate it. And so how do you celebrate? Well, you celebrate it by going and having sex with random people. You celebrate. Yay, it's great. It's awesome. You, you find beauty by the people that you're with. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's intoxicating. Or it's good. I mean, the ways that we talk about it out there never happened in here. So what did I do? I had to take what was out there and try in some way to apply it in here. And as you can guess, that becomes a really difficult process, especially if no one in here is talking about it. See, these are words that I, that I love, that I associate, but I associated those things not with what was necessarily always happening in here, but with what might happen on spring break. Celebration, beauty, good. Those are great words. And I longed for them, especially as they related to this issue of sex. See, I entered into most relationships sexually because I was longing for something. I, I wanted something. It wasn't just to meet some sort of sexual need. It was something here that I was longing for. I came to this place where I, I needed to start seeking answers. And so I, I, I remember this. I, um, I went to Whitworth University. I had come to a place where I... I I was trying to figure out some of this. So I, I went on this journey of looking through Scripture. And, and one of the, the places that I, that I actually came to um, in, in some of my journey was this. I, I came to uh, Genesis, the very first chapter. And maybe some of you are familiar with this, right? Starting in verse 27, it says this. So God created human beings in his own image. Maybe you, you've read this. Maybe this has been a part of some of the dialogue that you've had here at the end. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. This word image started to have uh, this impact on me. I started wrestling, what does that mean? What does that look like? And it goes further, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And reading this, then I'm thinking, <laughs> I know what that means. And uh, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I remember coming to this and saying, okay, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What, what does it mean to be fruitful and increase in number? Is this even real? How does this relate? And I remember trying to remember going through uh, multiple different passages. Now, before this, I remember reading this. Because all through Genesis 1, it talks about things being created and it's good. It's good. And then male and female are created. And what is it? Very good. 
Very good. Not just good, but very good. In fact, here's the, the reality. In Scripture, in the Old Testament, if it says something like good, and then it comes to a place where it's very good, it's not just like very good, because in our language, it might be like very good, all right? But here, it's saying, wow, it's very good. It's like good, 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 very, 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 very good. I mean, it's like, woo! You get the point. It's very good. And see, I've been wrestling with this dynamic of, well, is my body even good? I heard it said this way in Texas one time. We treat our bodies as if, you know, God created our arms and our legs and everything except for our genitalia. And that's where the devils came and, you know, slapped those things on. (laughs) Right? We treat our bodies sometimes, especially in the church, as if our genitalia was created by Satan and everything else by God. But here's the reality. All of how you've been made, all the bits and pieces, yes, I called them bits and pieces, um, are very good. Very good. But is that how you see yourself? Because I think if we're going to have a conversation about it, if we're going to have a conversation about sex, we also have to recognize then, or have to move to a place where we also then talk about the thing that allows for us to have it, our bodies. And scripture doesn't start with, ooh, they're bad. It starts with very good. You're made in the image of God, so it's very good. I mean, is this how you see it? I came across uh, this quote recently by Demi Moore. Maybe you're familiar with Demi Moore um, from um, such popular uh, relationships as Ashton Kutcher. Um, so uh, she was, and this, uh, this is after her breakup from Ashton Kutcher, and she says this, what scares me is that I'm going to ultimately find out that at the end of my life that I'm not really lovable, that I'm not worthy of being loved, that there's something fundamentally wrong with me, and that I, was wa- I wasn't wanted in the first place. See, I, I wrestled with this idea of, okay, well, how am I, I wanted to be known. I, I, I longed to be known. I, I wanted to be understood. I wanted to be loved. I mean, I think that she's speaking words that sometimes we cry out for. Are we good? And so what do we do? We try to, to find places where that is, for a moment, spoken. It's, 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 it's spoken into our lives. And here's the thing that I find as we look at Genesis 1, made in the image. We're we're made in the image of God, which means we're made very good, which means that there's something that, that within us is crying out for something, for connection. See, here's the deal. Being made in the image of God means that we've been made relational. Think about this. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're in relationship with one another. Being made in the image of God means that we are made for relationship. This is a good thing. Our desires that we have to be known, to be loved, to be understood is good. There's this great clip from August Rush that speaks about this desire that we have. I love the words that are expressed in this one moment. Listen. We need to get you a new name. Something a little more popular. What do you want to be in the world? I mean, the whole world, what do you want to be? Close your eyes and think about that. Found. Doesn't have enough again. 
little more yang, you know? Yeah, let's talk about wishful thinking. What do you want most in this world? That's the question that's being asked. What do you want most in this world? I remember I was trying to answer that question in my own journey. What do I want most in this world? I wanted to be found. If we're going to have a full idea of what sex is, then we have to understand we're created for it. But we also have to understand this. It was a part of something much bigger. It was a part of this dynamic of relationship. Our sexuality is all the ways that we strive to reconnect with our world and with each other and with God. There is something holy about our sexuality. There is something holy about our sexuality that draws us into relationship. That's a good thing. But here's the deal. Sin has this ability to tear that apart. Sin has this ability to tear apart relationships. Sin has this ability to to steer us in a different direction. Think about this. Sex. Sex is one of the most precious things that God has created, and God has invented it. God has created it. So why would Satan not want to attack us in the place that's most precious? In the place that destroys relationships. See, here's the deal. A lot of times we focus so much on the no's when it comes to sex that we miss the bigger yeses. God's no's are always encompassed within a bigger yes. And we miss that a lot of times. And one of the bigger yeses is that it calls us into relationship. It calls us into relationship. And we a lot of times miss that. But isn't that something we're celebrating? Isn't that something that's beautiful? Isn't something that, that's something that's good? I remember uh, after Genesis 1, then Genesis 2, and Genesis 1 kind of is this, like, this picture way up here where, where, where God's like, hey! And Genesis 2 is where like, God's in the grill of uh, humanity, Adam and Eve. He's like, boom. Right? And, and, and there's this thing that, that ends up happening, this, this dialogue. There's this moment. Because not only are we built for relationship, but we also see this relationship dynamic grow. Look at this. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Real quick, I got to say this. Because a lot of times we, we read this and girls are like, oh, helper? Oh, no. <laughs> hey, I, I got I to gotta say, this is really important. Uh, this is actually a really powerful term. It, it's not like it's, it's one used for God coming to the aid. It, it, it's a military term. It's a beautiful term. It's an incredible term. And it's not just in this dynamic. There's so much more to this. So, so I want us to, to recognize that. There, there is power and there is beauty there. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what its name was. So the man gave names to all the livestock 
the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So real quick, I, I want to point this out because God is the first one that points out that it's not good for man to be alone. And sometimes we think, well, Adam knew that. No, God pointed that out. God is the one that says it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He puts a task before him. And so he has to name the animals. He's like a modern day zoologist. Like, think about this. Adam gets to name the animals. And it's like, ah, hippopotamus, <laughs> giraffe, <laughs> tiger, see over there, right? Like, like he's, he's getting to name the animals. Now, just so you know, if we were to try doing this today, it would take anywhere between 10 years to like 100 years. I have a short attention span. Like, after about 24 hours, I'd be done, right? Like, that's it. Like, after that, I come to the place where I'm like, cat, pig, dog, cow, right? Like, I, I would give up. After a period of time. But, but Adam carries on. He names the animals. And then after that, there's something that happens. He's like, hippopotamus. Nope. <laughs> you will sit on me. Right? Giraffe. All right. Um, <laughs> tiger. You will eat me. So like, th- there's this, this dynamic, right? Where, where he then recognizes. Adam then recognizes there is another relationship. Th- th- see, because there is this dynamic of relationship again. See, it starts with God, and then it, then it pours out to another. And I love this. So the Lord God, at that moment then, the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with his flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. There's this incredible moment. It ends with these words. He brought her to the man. Uh, where do you see a father bringing a woman to a man? A wedding. A wedding. I mean, I mean now I, we don't have, you know, we don't have church up there leading uh, a wedding uh, or, or any sort of thing like that. But what we have is a father bringing a woman to the man. And there's this moment, right? There's this, this, this moment that is recorded that we see because here is the moment that we, we have recorded for us. And it says this in Genesis 2, 23 through 25, the man said, this now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, here's the deal, and you can leave this up there, because one of the things that so often happens is we see verses like this. Do you ever read Scripture, and you're like, what just happened? Right? Like, like, especially the Old Testament. The Old Testament gets me all the time. Just so you know, one of the ways that I sometimes get over that is I just go buy a children's book. Um, that helps. Uh, but here's the deal. There's this moment, this thing, and we have these words. And so often we can read over these words, but these words have so much meaning. They speak about relationship. They speak about a longing. They speak about something. And, and they're spoken. Now, if we were to, to try doing these words, uh, we wouldn't give them justice. Because a lot of times we read them like this. This now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We go over them really quickly. We don't give them the credibility that, I mean, if we were to try doing it, it would be sung like maybe an opera, right? Bone of my bone, 
flesh in my flesh, right? Like, like it's like with great enthusiasm and great excitement, right? Or, or if like it was a rapper, it might be like DMX, right? Bone in my bone, oh, flesh in my flesh, right? Like, uh, right? Like, like just full of emotion. I mean, think of this when you have been excited. Were you like, yay? Or were you like, oh, right? Like where you had like this happy bubble that was ready to burst and it looked like something from aliens, but it's happy. And it's like, woo, right? Like this is what's going on. There is something that is happening. There is something that is beautiful. There is something that goes beyond any words that we could try to put on here, although they're here and they're powerful and they're beautiful. They're full of desire. They're full of passion. They're full of celebration. They're full of goodness. There is union, oneness, connection. He realizes that she was a part of him. He realizes that when she was hurt, he was hurt. When she was happy, he was happy. When she was satisfied, he was satisfied. When she was upset, he was upset. When she, he, when he, she. She was him, his bones and his flesh, his substance, his nakedness. Celebration takes place in their nakedness. Beauty surrounds them. It is good. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I think that what we long for is to get back to this place where, yes, we have this relationship with God, but then it pours out to others, and specifically this dynamic of nakedness. Here's something that you should know. It's not just like nakedness, like you can see my bits and pieces. It's something so much more. See, here's the dynamic. When these words are spoken, they're not just physical. We've taken sex and we've put it down to a very minute level. Sex was never meant to be this way. In fact, in Genesis 4.1, when Adam comes to have sex with Eve, it says that he what her. I should never leave a what her. <laughs> but he knew her, right? In the Old Testament, a lot of times when two people had sex, they knew. It was this dynamic of relationship. There was this idea of connection. See, a lot of times we take sex and we try to make it this thing that, yes, it's supposed to be about connection, but it's about being connected to this one. The two become one. See, there's actually neural biology now that, that is looking like at our brain and what happens when we have sex, that we actually produce neural chemicals that cause us to bond with another individual when we have sex so that, yes, it's much more than just physical Ladies, you produce something called oxytocin. You might be familiar with it. Um, it's not oxycodone. Totally different. <laughs> oxytocin, childbirth, childbearing, but it's also present in the physical act of sex. Guys, we produce call, something called vasopressin. Every time I say that, I feel like I need to do a chest bump. But vasopressin is this thing that, that causes for bonding and trusting to happen. And here's the other dynamic. It is not just released in the physical act of sex. It's also released when we view things like pornography. And that's not just true with men. It's also true with women. And we have to be understanding that when God gave us this incredible gift, the gift of sex. And yes, he did create it, 
God was not like up here and then looked down at Adam and Eve and said, what are you doing behind that bush? Right? Like it, it wasn't like he called his angels together and said, hey, you got to name that. Uh, sex. Good job, Gabriel. Um, it didn't happen that way. There is something that, that is happening that, that, that makes this so much more. See, a lot of times I think that what we're doing is we're trying to seek that place where we're connected. Sex becomes this place where it's like we're known or we're loved, but really it's only short term. And you know what? There is, there is this dynamic of, of we're created to be known, to be loved, to be understood, but it doesn't take place here. It takes place here. And yet we try to do it here. And so we pour ourselves out, thinking that that is the place that we are going to find meaning, where we are going to find hope, where we are going to find something good. There's this passage in Scripture. Um, it's become one of my favorites in recent months. It's a place where I've, I've lived for a, a couple of weeks, actually. It's the time where Jesus comes to, to be baptized. He, he's coming down to the river, and, and, and it says this in uh, Matthew 3. Then Jesus came down to the Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. This is John the Baptist. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now, but it's proper for us to do this, uh, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God. This is key. He saw the Spirit of God. These words are important. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And you're thinking, how does this relate to what we're talking about here is how this relates? Because the inn is a ministry that's dedicated to raising up individuals that follow Jesus Christ. And here's one of the dynamics that so often happens at a school like UW or when I went to U of A or even at Whitworth University. So often what we do is we, we try ways beyond just what we hear in Scripture to find connection. And one of those ways is through this act of sex. And when Jesus is baptized in this moment, it actually is doing something. It's not just saying, hey, this is my son. It's not just a, a notification to us that, hey, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is what the, the prophecies are about. It's, it's not about just that. There, there, there is more to this. It's actually calling us back. The words, the Spirit of God descending. There's this idea of first mention. And so what it's doing is calling us back to the very beginning where the Spirit of God is first hovering over the waters. We see this in Genesis 1. It's calling us back to God's intent. And so it's saying this. It's calling us back, but it's also moving us forward. It's calling us back to this relationship that we have available to us. It's almost like God is saying to the reader, return to the blessing that is yours. I love the way that 
that this was uh, uh, said by a friend. We live in a world where we are endless, endlessly critiqued. But New Testament writers articulated our worth by saying we are in Christ. This was our relationship. This would permeate every area of life, including, and most of all, our sexuality. And maybe for the first time, this is where you're hearing a discussion about sex that also includes Jesus. And so often we don't do that. We talk about this relationship with Jesus. But here's the deal. We're created to have that relationship, but we're also created in a way that is sexual. And part of how we're sexual is to be known, to be loved, to be understood. So the question that I ask you tonight is, is where do you pour yourself out when it comes to this one area? How is that looking? For me, I had to make a different decision. See, as I came to a place where I began to recognize there was something in Scripture that that looked at celebration that looked at beauty, and that looked at the good that was found in this gift, and started to change the way that I engaged in this subject. It was not until I began to understand the blessing that was available, the bigger yes, the sex was more than just sex, that I began to take it seriously and put it in the context that we find in Scripture. See, God created sex. God created sex to take place within this covenant of marriage, And I say that so that we understand that it doesn't leave us hanging. But here's the deal. Scripture also speaks, and we'll speak about this uh, both next week and then the week ahead. There is something beautiful about our singleness. That's something else that we fail to mention. That in that, even though we might be single, we can still be very sexual. Because our sexuality, again, is about all the ways in which we're connected. And so often we sell ourselves short when we speak about our sexuality. My hope is that in the next four weeks, as you're engaged in this subject, that you find ways to celebrate, that you find ways to look at sex in such a way that you see the beauty in it, and that you look to the goodness that we find as we explore this in Scripture. There is a reason that there are no's. But there's also a reason there are bigger yeses. And the bigger yeses hold these components. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I pray for your blessing over these students, over their week, over the weeks that are to come. That I pray that as we continue to seek you, you will continue to reveal new things in our lives. Meet us where we are this evening. Meet us in the pain. Meet us in the hurt. Meet us in the shame. Meet us in the guilt. Meet us in the joy. Meet us in the celebration. Meet us in the beauty. Lord, be here and meet us and reveal things that allow us to move forward. And I pray that as we open ourselves up to you, that you will fill those gaps. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I want to conclude tonight by coming to this table that reminds us of God's big yes.
that reminds us that if God is for us, who can be against us? For as Jesus was in relationship, spending time with his friends, sharing a meal, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Uh, you are invited. All are invited to come to this table. It's not uh, one church's table. It's not a table for those who, uh, who, ju- who are by themselves pure. And it's not merely a table for those who have been impure. It's a table for anyone who puts their weight down on Jesus, who recognizes that they need to be rescued and that their hope is that Jesus does just that. So we will have stations around the room where you can come forward and you can grab off a piece of bread and then uh, dip it in the cup. Uh, the people that will be holding these, the, the bread and the cup will bless, uh, give you words of blessing um, as they do so. And if you would like to pray, there's, a, there's a, a station in the back that you can write prayers. And there's also people that will be back there to pray with you. Anytime we talk about this subject, inevitably there are people that desire to be prayed for. Uh, as this can bring up uh, things that have been confusing or painful uh, in their lives. Uh, let's pray as we come to this table tonight. Uh, Father, for it is true that every good and perfect gift does come from you. Uh, Lord, as we conclude tonight, uh, may we again know your goodness. May we celebrate. May we know your your goodness, and may we know that you take even broken things and make them beautiful once again. Uh, and, and so, Lord, meet us in this moment as we partake of this meal, this bread, and this cup. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.